We're going to have our reading now from um, 1 Peter, and uh, Alan's going to come and uh, read that for us. Thank you, Alan. Reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether it be to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you, Alan. As we come to God's word, let's um, let's just pray. Father God, the key word that came through from that passage was submission. And uh, as we study your word together now, we do pray that you would uh, help us to submit to the authority of your word, help us to see Jesus clearly through it and what he has done for us, and Lord, change our hearts, make them, make us people who are willing to, to follow the example of Jesus Christ in all aspects of our lives. So bless this time now, we pray, and help us to hear clearly from you. And may our lives be changed as a result. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
don't know what sort of week you have had in this, this past week gone by. If you are in work, whether paid or unpaid, then I guess you would have experienced um, possibly excitement, achievement, maybe even fulfilment. But I guess the chances are that at some stage as well, you will have also experienced times of stress, things that maybe didn't go according to, to plan. Worry, as we were hearing earlier, about everything you needed to get done by a certain time. Some of those difficult decisions that you, you had to make, maybe awkward colleagues to, to relate to. Now, things you rely on that just didn't work. Whether you've got your dream job or you feel you'd like to get out as soon as you can, work is never going to be perfect in this world. It was designed by God to be an exciting and a fulfilling experience, but as a result of the fall, it's become frustrating and it's become hard. But the workplace is the place where many of us spend most of our, our lives. And so it is the main place in many ways for living out the Christian life and impacting others around us. Now the title of this series that we're doing at the moment in 1 Peter is Changing the World. And of course this year we've looked at how we need to change ourselves through God's help. How we can each help one another change. And now we're looking at how we can impact the world around us. And if you were to choose one verse from this letter of Peter to summarise the, the theme of the letter, it would probably be um, those first two verses that Adam read out, verse 11 and 12. Um, actually going in further back from that, starting at verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What makes a Christian different from anyone else is that he or she has been called by God. We've received God's mercy. We deserved his punishment, and yet we received his love. We didn't deserve that any more than anybody else, but as Christians we've been privileged to have been called to belong to God's people. And acknowledging, therefore, that we, we are different in many ways from those around us, the question from this, uh, this passage, this letter, is how do we live as strangers in this world? And that is where the key message in 11 and 12 comes out. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens, strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, and glorify God on the day he visits us. If we are Christians, we are called to be witnesses for God through our good deeds. We're meant to impact others through our Christian behaviour. And Peter looks at three different areas of life to show what that looks like. Last week we looked at impacting others in the whole realm of politics, of society, community, and how we relate to those that God has appointed to govern us. Uh, next week we're going to look at how we impact others in the family, in the home. But this morning we're looking at how we behave as Christians in the workplace. And if you're a young person here, still at school, or in many ways that applies the same to you as well in that setting. It's a similar sort of setting. If you're retired and you're thinking, well, what has this got to do with me this morning? It still affects you. How you relate to others in the, the different activities in which you're still involved. And it's also important to pray for those who are in the thick of it. People like Warren, who we heard from earlier. Others who need your prayers, don't think it is not your issue. It is, it affects 
us all. Now, the common word in, in each of these sections is submission, which we looked at in home groups this week. And it's an alien concept, isn't it, in today's society? Because submission is about accepting the authority of somebody else. And because of our sinful way of thinking, we, we associate authority with, with power and status rather than what it should be, which is leadership and responsibility. Someone has to take responsibility. We have different roles to play. And even with countries having leaders, the world is in a mess. But imagine what it would be like uh, a world without leaders. It would be even worse. But let's look this morning at what God has to say about submission in the workplace. And the first point I want to make is fear God more than your boss. Now, if you have the old NIV translation, this passage starts in verse 18 with, um, with these words. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Now, when we read slaves, we probably think um, Africans shipped off in chains to the colonies. We think Wilberforce, uh, Newton. Today, we may think um, sex trafficking. Um, it doesn't conjure up good images, does it? But the word translated slaves here is probably more like um, domestic servants, which most slaves were in those times. They were generally well-treated. They would have included managers, tradesmen, uh, some of the professions that we would think of today, doctors, nurses, teachers, um, often paid for their services, and they could eventually expect to purchase their freedom. But ultimately, they weren't free to come and go, and so their status was lower than others in Roman society. So there's no exact comparison with anything today. But I think it is quite appropriate to apply it to the situation of an employee today. An employee may be free to resign, but whilst working, they're subject to various terms and conditions of their their contract. They're not free to simply do what they want to do. Now, it's interesting that the the new NIV has translated this first phrase slightly differently. This is how um, they translate it. Slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Now, the reason is that the literal translation is servants, submit yourselves in all fear to your masters, as it comes up here. Now, it doesn't say whether it's in fear of or respect for your masters or fear of God. But the last verse actually says, summarising that previous passage, fear God. And the, the theme running through the whole letter of Peter is living lives in reverent fear of God. And so the general point here is that we should fear God more than we fear human bosses. And after all, the reason Peter gives in verse 19 for someone enduring suffering in the workplace is that it says he's conscious of God. He's conscious of God. And so the message here for us today is that we should accept the authority of our boss, do what he or she asks you to do, and with all respect for that position, but fear God before your boss. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, I think it comes back to an issue of identity, who we are. For many people today, identity comes from what they do. And as they perform well in their, their job, they get promoted. Maybe they get move on to a better job. Uh, their sense of self-esteem increases because of what people other, other people think of them, how they perceive them. Now, if we are Christians, our identity is in Christ. It is in what he has done for us, as we'll come on to see shortly. He has saved us. He's called us to be one of his people. 
And our attitude to work therefore flows out of our identity in him. We're told in Colossians to work as if for the Lord, not to earn his favour, but because of what he has already done for us. Now that has huge implications, doesn't it? Because for the person whose identity is in their work, if they fail, and we all look back at times where we've made mistakes in the workplace, could have been losing an important deal or a client, maybe misdiagnosing a patient, maybe losing control of a classroom of children, maybe miscalculating the material you need for a building job. We've all made mistakes. But for the person whose identity is in their work, it's a huge thing. There's a sense of despair, of self-questioning, of feeling inadequate. But for the Christian whose identity is in Christ, actually it doesn't change anything. We're still loved, we're still valued by him. And that should therefore relieve us of the need to worry, again as we we heard earlier. Because what is the worst that can happen to us in the workplace? Ultimately, we can be fired, can't we? We can lose our job. Now, for some Christians, it's easy to look at that as almost worse than losing their faith. It's easy to treat job security as more important than our security in Christ. Ken Costa was um, the vice chairman at UBS Investment Bank, and um, He writes this in his book, God at Work. He says, I remember walking down the street that leads to the Bank of England one lunchtime. I saw ahead of me the fortress-like Bank of England and to my left a sign to the Swiss Bank Corporation where I would later work. I remember looking at these signs. They projected great security. But then in a flash, I saw the truth. No bank... Swiss Bank or Bank of England would survive the promised return of Christ. Strong as they appeared, their apparent security would be broken in an instant. I also realised that in that moment, the illusory nature of the idea of job security. True security can only be found in God's promises of security, both now and after death. I saw that Christ was in total control of all of life. Christ's death on the cross had broken the grip of this most forceful presence in my life. I knew that I died with Christ and now lived a new life in him. I could walk free from compulsive greed, false financial security and captive illustrations about the meaning of life. This did not mean that temptation ceased nor that I have never made wrong choices. But it did mean that the inevitability of being thrall to the world was broken. The workplace is almost the biggest testing place for showing what is more important. Is it our job or is it our relationship with God? And that testing will come up in different ways. I'm sure we've all experienced it. Um, Let me give you one little case study. This is from another good book on work. If you've come across it, Gospel-Centred Work by by Tim Chester. Um, Let me just read you this little case study um, from, from one chapter. So consider this, Clara, a member of Karen's house group, was unwell. Karen was going to go round in the evening to cook her a meal. She was thinking about what she was going to make and the ingredients she would buy on the way home from work. If she left at five, she could be at the supermarket by quarter past. At Clara shortly after six and the meal could be ready by seven. And then her boss stopped at her desk. Can you prepare the revised sales figure for me? That sounds like a question, thought Karen but she knew it was really an order. 
Can I do them tomorrow morning, Karen asked. Sorry, I need them for a meeting at nine. What can I do, thought Karen. I just have to let Clara down. Fear God more than your boss. And if we've understood that order of priority, then that helps us understand what follows. Because the next point is submit to your boss for the Lord's sake. Verse 18 continues. Submit to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now many of you, I'm sure, will have worked for um, harsh bosses or companies that are harsh to their employees at some stage. Maybe you still do. And the tough message here is to submit to them even if they are harsh. It's saying to receive unjust treatment is commendable before God. Now on the other hand, to be disciplined for your poor attitude, your laziness, is not commendable. You deserve it. It's a poor witness to Christ. But often we will get our heads down, we will um, do a good job, be conscientious, show kindness to others, be treated nevertheless unfairly. And what do we do in that situation? Well, actually, when we experience that, that injustice, that mistreatment, that we have the biggest opportunity to witness for Christ. Let's have a think of some examples here. You know, you have a boss who has no respect from his or her team. Maybe they're, uh, maybe they're under stress themselves and they're just taking it out on their team. And everybody has a good old moan about them. And you'd love to do the same. You'd love to, uh, to vent your own frustration. But um, because you respect your boss, you, you remain quiet. And maybe when things have uh, calmed down a bit, you um, make a positive suggestion about how you can raise these concerns with, uh, with them. How you can make them aware of the unreasonable things that are going on. Maybe you are, you are doing a good job, but um, you don't feel your performance is being recognised. You know, someone else has been promoted ahead of you. Not because they're better than you, but maybe because they're just more in with the boss. How do you react in that situation? Do you think, well, that's just unfair. I've just been treated really badly. What do you ask yourself, actually, why... Do you need that promotion? Is it about the, the status, the money, the, the respect that goes with it? Certainly as I look back on my um, 15 or so years in banking, my attitude towards such things, I think it reflected the strength of my relationship with God, probably the maturity of my faith in many ways. Um, as a very young Christian, those things were, were important to me. Um, but as they became less important, um, I was able to witness more effectively. And when I got to the point that actually they didn't matter at all, then... Interesting enough, that is when God gave me them more abundantly, when he knew that um, I was able to handle them. Christians shouldn't be those who, who map out their careers and get frustrated when they don't go according to plan. But those who show patient endurance, those who trust in God and in his timing. Because how we deal with setbacks is a huge opportunity for, for witness showing contentment with what you've got, while others having a good old moan, can speak volumes. 
But what is the reason why we should mis accept mistreatment? Because mistreatment can occur in all sorts of different forms, can't it? I'm sure many of you are going through that at the moment, wondering, should you stay where you are? What should you do about it? You're praying about it. Well, the answer is there in verse 21. To this, you were called. To this, you were called. You were called to follow Christ in his suffering. Now, these verses are very appropriate as we are prepared to take communion together. Because to this, it says, this life of suffering, you were called. Peter has already talked about the calling that the Christian has received. And we mentioned that earlier on. It says um, in verse 9 of chapter 2, he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is a tremendous calling, isn't it? Calling into his wonderful light. Or later in uh, verse 9 of chapter 3, we will hear about how uh, we are called so that we may inherit a blessing. To be called is to inherit amazing things. So it's a wonderful sense of being called. But here we are told we are called to suffer. That's not a great incentive to be a Christian, is it really? It's a bit like the adverts that um, the Acts 29 network has put out for, for interns. This is uh, what their, their advert says. We're looking for men and women to work hard in fledgling churches in difficult situations. There will be small reward constant confusion and frustration. You'll be misunderstood, misrepresented and maligned. You'll receive training and mentoring in an Acts 29 Europe church plant which will equip you for a life of unknown, unsung, heart-wrenching and often unfruitful ministry. Great. Let's get our applications in now. Why would you want to go and work for somebody like that? Because it carries on and you will receive an undying joy and wonder in the presence of Jesus Christ. You will be a nobody who has nothing to offer, but you will follow Jesus and you will know you need nothing else. That is the wonderful thing that comes from being called to suffer for Christ. But why? Why are we called to suffer? Well, look at verse 21. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ suffered for a purpose and he suffered by way of an example. The purpose is further down in verse 24. Look there, what is that purpose? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Great verse to learn. It's our verse for the week. If you want a summary of the Christian faith, of what Christ achieved for you on the cross, then put that to you to memory. He bore our sins. He carried them. He took the punishment for our sins upon himself. That is why the, um, the Old Testament system of animal sacrifice, which we often uh, quite struggle with, what is that all about? Um, it was pointing towards a perfect sacrifice. It was showing that something had to be done about sin. Sin has consequences. They can't be excused without, without something being done. In the Old Testament, animals took the consequence. The sin was laid on them. They became scapegoats. But it wasn't a perfect system. It was a temporary system appointed to, to Jesus Christ, a man who was fully man, fully God, who took the punishment in our place forever for all of our sins. 
so that we might die to sins. The sins will be wiped out. We would turn away from our former way of life. Sin would no longer have the grip on us that it had before and we would live for righteousness. Live in the knowledge that we are right with God. By his wounds, you have been healed. The reason Alan's story is, uh, is alive today is because another patient was prepared to, to give him his liver. And as a result of that transplant, Alan is now able to live a, a reasonably healthy life. It's transformed his, his physical health. They took out the old dying liver and put in a new healthy liver. By his wounds, the wounds of that other patient, Alan was healed. Now that donor was, was, was dying anyway. Jesus gave up his life voluntarily when he was still alive. And as he did that, he healed us, not from, from physical disease, but something far more serious. He healed us from spiritual sickness, a disease that kills the soul. Like sheep, we were going astray, following the path to destruction without even realizing it. But he brought us back to be on the path that leads to eternal life. And now we live under the protection of the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Christ died for a purpose, to bear our sins, to bring us to God. But Christ also died to set us an example. So to this you recall, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now what exactly were those steps that he took? What is the example that we should follow? That we should die for others? Well, we can't achieve what Christ achieved on the cross, can we? We're not God. So in what way can we, can we follow him? Well, the steps that Christ took were steps of obedience, of submission to the Father. The Father sent the Son to die. The Son went willingly because the Son submitted himself to the will of the Father. He didn't go begrudgingly, he didn't go under duress. He went because he too loved the world and was prepared to die for the world. And so he went, he lived a perfect life, he lived an obedient life. He committed no sin, it says here. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. And that is the example that we need to follow, to entrust ourselves to God to entrust each situation that we find ourselves into him. Now, that doesn't mean we should um, suffer in silence sometimes, that we shouldn't try and put right injustice. You know, if there is abuse or discrimination going on in the, the workplace, then I think it's right to point that out. But where we are mistreated, where we feel aggrieved, there is a temptation, isn't there, to, to fall into sin. And the temptation is to be resentful, is to be rebellious, to be full of self-pity, maybe full of, of despair. And that can mean we're tempted to undermine our boss, maybe just to work to rule, work the minimum, maybe to moan to others or even to resign in a bit of a huff. But we're called to respond in a way that says that is conscious of God. That means being aware of his presence, being 
aware of his never-failing care, his, his trust, and knowing that ultimately all rights, all wrongs will be made right. And as we do endure that mistreatment, we will become more like Christ. As we demonstrate our trust in him, we will attract others to him. And like Christ, having experienced his suffering, the great news is that we will look forward to the day when we too will be glorified with him in heaven. Amen. We're going to um, come to the Lord's table in just a minute, but um, before that, we're going to sing a song in which we um, just prepare for that words which is very appropriate to focus on um, the one who bears our sins away, slain for us. We come to remember the promise made that all who come in faith will find forgiveness at the cross. Let's stand to sing, Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away.